You're listening to the Achieving DevOps Podcast. I'm Dave Harrison. Join us as we talk about delivering software reliably and at a higher velocity. Folks, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, uh, Robert Vetter. Robert works for Microsoft Premier. And recently, he introduced me to something I've actually never never heard of before, 12-factor uh, methodology, and what is uh, cloud-native services. So, um, Robert, welcome to the podcast. Well, hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Always love talking about cloud-native, microservices, modern architecture. It's very, it's fun. So talk to me a little bit about your background. What got you interested in this? Uh, ben and, uh, you know, have kind of gone through the cycle. Uh, was an app dev for a long time, you know, tech lead for a long time, uh, and then gotten into architecture. And in my current role at Microsoft, pretty much, we work with, um, we're sort of, you know, Dave and I are both in the same group. We, um, we're sort of a specialized group. We work with, you know, targeted customers that buy these uh, support agreements, but it's not it's not reactive support, it's, it's proactive support. So I'm on a team of consultants, there's about 50 of us, we go in and we basically help customers, you know, really, we talk about building stuff, we talk about, you know, best practices, principles, patterns, all those kinds of things. And um, uh, I've been really deeply involved in microservices, for a couple of years now, I really love dealing with, you know, thinking, trying to think about building applications using a distributed architecture, you know, where it makes sense. And um, about a year ago, I talked with the ASP.NET product team, and they were interested, or actually the .NET product team, and they were interested in a book. And that book was going to be basically architecting uh, applications, cloud-native applications, using .NET and Azure. So I got involved in the book and I spent just a tremendous amount of time researching cloud native. And that went on for months, literally months, just really trying to understand what it is and you know what it means and who's doing it and all that. So I really learned a lot. And and it's just an exciting area. And you hear a lot about it now. So you know, maybe about a year ago, it was just sort of, you know, just sort of scratching the surface. Now you're hearing a lot of people talking about cloud native. It's become kind of like a marketing buzz term, right? You know, so everybody's cloud native, cloud native, cloud native. But it's interesting if you ask maybe 10 different people what cloud native means, you get about eight very different answers. And even a lot of the vendors too, if you, you know, they'll, they'll basically, when they say cloud native, you're talking about, hey, we have this Kubernetes distribution or, you know, to a lot of vendors, it's just Kubernetes. And while Kubernetes is a critical piece to cloud native applications, it goes a lot farther than that. You need, you need the application that's going to run on Kubernetes. And that application needs to really be uh, built, you know, in a very specific way. So, so that's that's kind of like we, we slap uh, oh say, say oh the application it's running in Docker now it's in a container so now now we're doing DevOps right yeah uh, right <laughs> so cloud native is a bit of a buzzword but we do have I mean is this a, like a Microsoft thing is is there an official definition of what cloud native is I think Microsoft tends to follow and I think this is the right thing to do the, the definition from the cloud native computing foundation. So there's this big group called the CNCF or Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and they pretty much sort of own the space, so to speak, right? 
Um, you know, so they're really, and you know, they have many, many members, you know, Microsoft, Google, Apple, everybody's, you know, most of the big, most of the big players, most of the big companies, you know, the GMs and the GEs, they're all members of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And I think the Cloud Native, and I think the CNCF really drives, is helping drive, you know, Cloud Native forward pretty much. They also, the CNCF has, um, they've got, you know, hundreds of, we're, we're videoing, right? Let me share my screen real quickly. I think, it's, I think this is worth seeing. So if we share my screen, let me know if you can see that here. Let's get rid of some of this stuff we don't care about right now. We don't care about this either. Let's just do this right here. So if we go to CNCF, and this is worth doing, by the way, too. Some of it's in the book. We'll look at the book here in a second. But if you go to CNCF, uh, it'll come up. Here's a Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Um, if you go to, they do have a... They do have a definition, by the way, if I can find it. Where is my definition? Cloud Native Computing Foundation, Cloud Native Definition, right? This is, I think, the industry definition here, pretty much. So if we look at this here, you can see that it's pretty much, um, I think these two sentences kind of sum it up, right? You know, Cloud Native Technologies empower organizations to build and run scalable applications, right? again, in modern dynamic environments, which basically mean public, private, hybrid clouds, pretty much. You can see things like containers, service meshes, microservices, you know, the infrastructure, you know, all basically play in to, you know, into a cloud native application, right? And again, you know, bottom line, loosely coupled systems, you know, that are resilient, manageable, and observable. These are all part of, I think, the definition of cloud native. I think you're really looking at an application, right, that is constructed to basically leverage the cloud, leverage the cloud architecture, the cloud computing architecture, you know, and all of the different uh, features available in the cloud. And that's whether you're on Azure or AWS or Google Cloud, it's pretty much, you know, you're really building it to the cloud. And in the book, we sort of talk about that a little bit too. I think it's worth pointing out. All you have to do is go to Microsoft Architecture. Click on that. You'll see the first thing that comes up are going to be the architectural guides. There's quite a few of them out here. When we talk about Microsoft, we have, got, we have free guides and microservices, DevOps, mobile apps, you name it. If we go down here, the one we're talking about right now is going to be the architecting cloud native apps for Azure. Again, you can see there's one, there's there's, there's a new one on, on gRPC, one on Blazor, but we'll focus on this one right here. If we get into this, I think you can read this online, you can download the PF. If you go into the introduction, I think what's helpful here is that if you go down to the second page, defining cloud native, so we spend some time doing that right here. And I think this sort of sums it up pretty much, right? When you're building a cloud native application, right? You're really looking at building an application that is in the cloud infrastructure, okay? Takes full advantage of it, right? You know, typically you're gonna build these things using microservices because you want decoupled independent services, okay? That's, you know, that can evolve independently, deploy frequently, all those great things. You're gonna run those services probably in containers you're going to use things like Kubernetes to manage those container or that containerized workload, along with things like DevOps as well, too, to manage your code. And as long as 
along with things like IAAC, Infrastructure as Code, you know, you can either use Terraform or ARM, for example, to basically provision your cloud resources. You're going to look at modern design principles, because again, you're not going to be building modern applications using design principles you know, from the past. You want to look at some of the newer practices, the newer patterns, you know, the newer principles that really apply to the cloud. So you can take, take, really take advantage of the cloud infrastructure. And again, typically the application, all of its backing services, a backing service that would be things like, you know, a, a cache, right? Or a relational database or a NoSQL database, if you will. Um, your, your identity server, right? You know, those things pretty much, those backing service or those, you know, those different ancillary services that your application needs, you know, are typically going to use managed cloud backing services. So if you're in Azure, you need a database, you might say, wow, you know what, instead of uh, provisioning a VM and installing SQL Server or MySQL, why don't I just use the managed service? Azure has a managed service for SQL Server. It has one for Postgre, another one for MySQL another one from MariaDB, use the managed services, okay? Those are basically, you know, managed by the cloud vendor, they're at scale, there's built-in security, built-in logging. So again, you're leveraging these, you know, these, these built-in cloud services, these backing services, instead of you actually, you know, taking, for example, RabbitMQ. You know, I could say, I need a, I need a message broker, right? So I could easily provision a VM, and I could somewhat easily install RabbitMQ on, but then, then I'm on the hook for managing RabbitMQ, right? I, and I'm on the hook for managing the VM. But why not just use a built-in cloud-based, uh, you know, a vendor-based backing service that's a message broker? In Azure, we have things like Azure Service Bus. We have Azure Event Grid, right? We have storage queues. When you're in Amazon or GCP, they too have managed services, managed message brokers. You want to use them. You might build the application though, you might say we never talk directly to Azure Service Bus. We always wrap that in some kind of abstraction shim so that we could unplug uh, Azure Service Bus at some point and maybe plug in, you know, Azure Event Grid. Or if we were to move to another cloud, we can plug in their particular um, message broker. So cloud native really represents a movement kind of away from on-prem or even infrastructure as a service. And we're, we're moving towards platform as a service, right? Pass. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much. Now, when you get into things like Kubernetes, keep in mind, you know, you know, um, when you create a cluster, you are basically is provisioning VMs for you under the hood, right? But again, the idea here is really more platform as a service. We want to move away from uh, you know, managing services. And again, I think what you'll see going forward here too, I think you'll see a lot of emphasis on serverless type technologies being used with cloud native. Because again, you know, things like, you know, anywhere from like functions in Azure, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, event grid as a serverless, logic apps. You'll see on Azure, a lot of our services are becoming, uh, are having serverless flavors. I think there's a SQL serverless, SQL server, serverless flavor now it, um, the our gateway azure um, azure uh, apim azure management uh, gateway that's there is a now a serverless version of that so i think going forward you'll see a lot of serverless op offerings and i think you'll see a lot of them being used 
with cloud native applications because again, customers don't want to spend time configuring servers uh, servers and maintaining servers. They want these things just to happen. They want to focus on business functionality. Customer paying you to write an application could care less about the plumbing. They want business functionality. And if we can focus on that, we'll, we'll get a lot farther than having to worry about plumbing. And it's the same thing going back to the banking service. You know, if if I could, you know, I, I work with a customer right now and they're saying, oh, no, 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 we're going to, I keep going back to this point. And I, and I love RabbitMQ, but we're going to put RabbitMQ on a, on a VM and we're going to put it in the cloud. But you know what? What's interesting about that is that, uh, and they're going to put it in Azure. But what's interesting about that is, you know, really Azure Service Bus would do, I think, everything they need and even give them more than, than they're going to get out of RabbitMQ. But I'm like, you know, what is what do you get by managing it yourself, right? If it works, nobody cares. The business is happy. If it doesn't work, then the business is very unhappy, and then you're on the hook for supporting that. You can't call, you know, Google Cloud or Microsoft AWS and say, hey, fix my RabbitMQ. They don't do that, right? It's not a managed service. So again, there's no upside. You know, if you can get the same thing in a managed banking service, the same functionality, and um, and the pricing is very similar, which, which, which I'm certain it would be, why would you go manage stuff yourself? Right? There's no upside to that. The only, there's only a downside. The downside is when it stops working, you're on the hook. Yeah, you're on your lightning rod at that point. Uh, it's yeah. amazing that this is where we as engineers, thinking that we could roll it ourselves and do better. Um, this is a very 90s and 2000s type thinking. And it, you know, unless it relates to our core business, why are we, why are we trying to think that we can do, you know, basically recreate this this wheel that's already been done elsewhere and, and far cheaper and not have to pay that high cost. Um, okay. I know it's definitely true with monitoring. You mentioned in your in your book the fear cycle. You know, we we start out creating these applications as monoliths, which in, has a lot of advantages in, in a lot of ways. There's a reason why that you know that oh. that end tier architecture is ruled for 20 some years. But you said as time goes on, it kind of spirals out of control. Kind of remind me a little bit of the game Jenga when it, you know it just gets higher and higher. The system's too massive and too brittle. It's resistant right. to change. So how does cloud native kind of work against that? What are the principles there that, that help make it more, help us make um, changes frequently and more predictably? I think that's a really good question too. And I think what happens with the, you know, with the fair cycle is you build, you know, you know, you, you get hired by this company, uh, brand new startup. I think, I think it's just in the book, right? You know, and you're, and you're, and you, and, and it's the first day in the office. And the first big thing is, you know, we got all this venture capital money. We're going to build the next big uh, e-commerce system. How are we going to do it? Right. And um, somebody says, well, let's just do what we've been doing for the last, you know, 20 years. Let's follow the guidance and let's build this large monolithic application. Right. You know, everything together. And you can do that pretty much. And it looks like this. Right. This would be a monolithic application. You would say, hey, you know what? I got some kind of client front end. Uh, I've got you know this large single process that has all these different modules, modules for catalog, for basket, for ordering, marketing, you name it. Everything's running together, right? In this single process, if you will, here. And then I got some, and on the back end, I've got this large monolithic database. So again, this is what we've been telling you to build, you know, for the last you know 20 years, right? But again, this and this is fine. And, and again, there, you know, there are, like we say, you know, not all is bad, right? This is, you know, fairly straightforward to test, to build, 
to deploy. It's easy to deploy. Basically, it just goes out. It's, you know, it's a single unit, if you will, right? It's fairly straightforward to troubleshoot. You know, I can I can step from ordering right into basket and I can step into catalog and it's easy to scale. I can say, give me one, give me two, give me three, put a low balancer in front. But again, the problem becomes later on the fear cycle, right? The app becomes so large, it's so complicated that nobody, that no one single person understands it. And so what is that? What happens then? You fear making changes. Every change you make, has unintended and costly side effects, right? You fix X. The owner goes, you gotta fix X, it's not working, da da da. You fix X, right? And then Y breaks. And the customer goes, you fix something, you broke something else, why is that? And you go, I don't know, but I'll fix Y. You fix Y and everything works. Customer goes, hey, you know what? We need to add new functionality. So you add new functionality A. When you add A, X breaks again, and then Y breaks. And the customer is like, you know, you whenever you touch this application, you fix something, you ask something, you begin breaking other things. And the reason why is it's very tightly coupled together, right? So what happens then? Each release becomes very small, uh, you know, and it requires a tremendous amount of effort. Very tricky, very time-consuming, because you know it's going to happen when you input, when you deploy it. You're going to have a bug list that's a mile long, right? It's, 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 it's inevitable. So then your budget starts to go to fixing bugs instead of building the functionality. And here's something too: whenever you release, you fix one line of code. Say the pricing engine is broke, you know, it's, it's generating the wrong price in certain situations. You fix that one line of code. That's a full deployment, right? And what do we know about full deployments? Full deployments are risky. They don't happen very often. Once a quarter. Maybe once a month, on the weekend, all hands on deck, we got a bridge open. And if you're the person who's got to press that publish button, you know, the publish the new set changes, you're always kind of putting your finger on it, but you're kind of taking your finger off because you're going, you know what, man, did we really test this enough? You know, do we go through the edge cases? You're always afraid, but you know when you press that button, and there's a good chance you're going to be mm -hmm. really you're going to yeah. be in trouble. It's a job ending decision. Yeah. When I read your article uh, or the the book that, that is taking shape online, I, I love it. By the way, the definition talks about things like containers and service meshes, microservices, immutable infrastructure, you know, cattle nut pets, right? And then declarative APIs. These are all kind of very microservices oriented. To me, it's like when I was reading this, it was almost like I was I was looking at a checklist for what a microservice should be, like a production ready microservice. And I don't know if my take on that is accurate or not, but a lot of our customers are asking, hey, what is our best practices? I have one right now. You know, we want to take a look at this application, use it as a template elsewhere. Should we look at, at the definition of cloud native as being like a checklist or, you know, 12-factor design? This is a checklist for what makes a complete application that's production ready and running in the cloud. I think it's a good start, you know, okay. and I think and I think the uh, raise a really good point. So even in a book, you know, we have a section on, um, I'm going to go to it, right? Uh, 12-factor application, right? And, you know, I had heard of, and I had, you know, heard for years about 12-factor applications. And there's many, many different, you know, frameworks out there, methodologies out there. I never looked at it that closely until I got involved in the book. But this is really good, actually. And this is not new. These are from 2012, my understanding, is, if I got that right. But, you know, these are just really good principles to look at when you're building a distributed application on here. So 
I think things like this um, are a good start. You know, I think customers need to be thinking through these these different principles and trying to apply them. Um, as well as, you know, there's many, many other modern design principles and patterns when they're building their code that I think they need to adhere to. And when they're actually going to release, these really cover building the code and releasing and deploying it as well, too. So I think we really need to look at that closely. These are a good guide. Because again, you know, uh, in my role now, lots of customers are saying, hey, we've gotten burnt building these large monolithic systems. You know, a lot of them are on-prem. We want to move to the cloud, but we, you know, but we need, but we, but we can't keep building these systems where we fall into the fear cycle. We can't make any changes to it. You know, it becomes antiquated. You know, the business wants us to move really fast, right? Uh, the business wants us to say, hey, you know, if we need to make a change to the pricing engine, it needs to happen now, not at the end of the quarter. So again, we need to build applications that have that kind of agility. And, and I think that you know, building with these principles and building within a cloud-native framework, if you will, uh, help us do that pretty much. We have small, independent services. We can, again, we can update one of those services. It can evolve independently. We, we can push it out. We have, a, we, have, we, have a, we have a very firm contract between that service and the other services, so we shouldn't break anything when we push it out. The contract should remain in force. Um, again, we're running these things at scale. We've got them containerized. You know, in uh, we're running them in Kubernetes. You know, which is the great orchestrator for you know, obviously for doing you know a lot of this. You know, for basically managing this stuff. You know, we're automating everything. You know, that's really, I think, the application of the future. That's where customers want to go. But right. it's you know, but but it's a long goal. There's a lot to it, and um, I think people will say that hey, not only is there just a tremendous amount of you know, of, uh, of reinventing yourself as a technologist to understand these principles, uh, you know, these, you know, the designs, you know, how to build this stuff, you know, and how to use these technologies. But there's also a culture. I think that, you know, leadership in a company needs to say, hey, if we want to do this, what is it going to take culturally? It's kind of like we're going to do DevOps. But we don't have a DevOps culture. Well, you're probably not going to have a really smooth ride on that. All right. I think your your book is interesting because it, it says, hey, and it kind of acknowledges not everything is going to be a good fit for cloud native. It's basically there are systems that would, they need to be high release velocity. And you go through some of the different use cases, but you also mentioned like there's some legacy applications where you have to do that Martin Fowler strangler fig thing where we have, you know, kind of we, we use basically routing and any new new functionality gets added to this new framework. Do you actually see that decomposition gradually over time into microservices? Do you see that actually happening in the real world? Or is that just yeah. something we just talk about? No, you know what, that's really interesting. Um, at least with our customer base, I think that, so they'll, so they'll bring us in and they'll say, hey, talk to us about microservices. And, in cloud native, and then they'll say, "Well, hey, you know, you know, give us. We, we have a three-day workshop that's pretty intense. So we, you know, so they, so they'll say, this is interesting. Maybe we, can, this might be able to help us, right? So come and do the workshop. And in the workshop, we talk about greenfield applications. You know, building brand new applications. What does it mean? What would it take? You know, how would you take an application and decompose it? Um, you know, into smaller services. What would that look like? And then we talk about once you get that, you know, how are you going to do the backing services? How are you going to do the containers? 
But then also we have a section on brownfield. You have an existing legacy application. It's a large enterprise application. It's not going away, but you're having lots of issues with it. So then, so then the thought becomes, well, how do we, you know, how do we take this application and begin to replatform it, you know, into something that's more agile, more, you know, more, more modular, you know, more service-based, so we can make changes to it. And I think the second scenario, the brownfield, is a more common one. We see this yeah. a lot. Customers yeah. are saying, you know, we have an application, but here's the thing. We can't rewrite it. We probably don't want to rewrite it because that would take years, right? But what if we could begin to replatform it piece by piece? Again, like a strangler approach, we're basically saying, you know what, let's go ahead and identify maybe what the real problem areas are and maybe begin to hopefully begin to decompose those problem areas into, you know, into separate services, but have those services still work with the legacy application. And maybe over time, we begin to take what's slow, what's problematic, and basically service enable that stuff. And so that, you know, so that it's independent of the application, but it still works with the application. And over time, you know, in a perfect world, at some point in time, we would have moved the entire legacy application into more of a microservice application, right? But that may never happen. You know, a company may say, hey, you know what? We've taken the top five things that were really problematic. They're separate services, but they work, you know, they're, they're using these different patterns that basically allow them to work with the legacy application. We're done. We're happy. It works. Yeah. Everybody's happy. Right. Let's not spend any more money on this. Let's go ahead and build something new, something else. So yeah, yeah. But that's very common. You know, everybody look, everybody wants to build new stuff, right? But that's just not the reality. A lot of old stuff that you know that has the potential. But again, you know, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna take every application. Like we have customers who say, hey, we want to make everything cloud native, everything, want everything to be a microservice, right? And that's probably never going to happen because these smaller applications that you have, departmental applications. They don't really, you know, the actual time to decompose those into smaller independent services and maintain all that, you know, the cost would far outweigh any benefit. So we really want to be selective, you know, on those apps that we choose to do this. And keep in mind, too, that cloud native, you know, somebody might say, well, I want everything to be cloud native. So I'm going to move it to, so that, that means I'm going to move all my applications to the cloud. I may say I'm a big company, I'm X company, and we have a lot of these. And they have data centers full of these like ASP applications that they're using, right? When I get them out of here, when I get them in the cloud, pretty much, right? We want to close our data center and put them in Azure. That happens a lot, and that's good um, for us and for them. But again, just because you move, say you lift and shift an application, you know, from your data center into the cloud, or maybe you take an application be a web app and you move it into say something like a pass service like azure app services that application is not really cloud native if you will and i think people get confused about that it's cloud enabled it's running in the cloud but again cloud native applications again if we go back to this again those are applications they tend to be larger applications strategic critical and they again tend to follow this model here you know, they are basically, they're built in the cloud. They run in the cloud. Modern design is really critical. They're built as microservices, not a large monolith. You know, a monolith application, it can run in the cloud just fine, but I don't think it meets the definition 
of a cloud native application, if you will. Now, people will argue with me and they'll say, oh, you're crazy, wrong, but that, but I think you would see that more often than not. And again, we're looking at containers and you know, end-to-end -end automation. This is probably more, uh, this is more, I think, what cloud native tends. And you'll see this as well, too, if you go back to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, if I can get back to there, where is my cloud? They have this really interesting thing, if I can find it here. Ah, the trail map. See the trail map here? I did see that, and that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. So interesting that containers came so early on. <laughs> look at Even ahead of CICD, I was like, whoa, you know? To me, CICD probably should have been first. But but this is interesting because they're saying, hey, you know, we're the cloud native implementation. Here's our, here's our trail map, right? Here are the steps along the journey. Containerization. Look at the CICD is number two, right? That's you know automating everything, right? Orchestration uh, of you know the application, observability, again things. That like observability maintain. one is really vital, isn't it? That, that oh. especially talking about distributed systems like this, you must have these applications and services. That everything needs to be very transparent uh, for your monitoring. Oh yeah, like a couple of years ago, um, a, a couple of thoughts on that. A couple of years ago, once you uh, one of our larger customers. It's maybe like 2015 or so, 2016, and and they're a big Azure customer. And one thing that kind of struck me is how much logging they had. They had so much logging. Just you know, they had logging turned on in normal circumstances, and then they had switches where they could basically turn on extra logging if they needed it. And I kind of thought, why are you guys logging so much, right? Isn't aren't you overdoing it? But then I realized, no, because they had distributed applications and, you know, if anything goes wrong, they need to know exactly what happened. So the observability becomes very important, you know, from a troubleshooting standpoint, and that probably becomes even more important from a performance standpoint. They need to be, you know, someone needs to be monitoring those applications. You know, we, we have automated tools that monitor those applications and we need to know, you know, based on telemetry when things aren't going well. You know, instead of the user calling us and saying, hey, something's slower down, we need to know that up front. And so, again, observability is huge in these things. And I think when you begin to build microservice applications, again, you're, you know, you have calls that might be going, you know, from a client into a gateway, into a backend service, maybe to another backend service, maybe via a message broker and another one. You need to be logging that stuff, you know, and you need to be having some kind of common thread so when something goes wrong, you can see, you know, the actual request from end to end, and you can see basically where it went bad, what happened. So, and I know we just have a couple minutes left, but I mean, this, uh, we'll have a link to the trail map, by the way, um, some of the different pieces there. And I also liked in, in Robert's book, he, he references that there's a modernizing uh, white paper, and it talks about those different approaches you can use and kind of a stair-step approach and moving your on-prem applications and services you can you know do a lift and shift which is basically no code change or you can move on from there to doing more like cloud optimized which means hey we're we're starting to use containers more we're starting yeah. to use more platform as a service but again minimal code change uh and then the last probably the, the optimal step is your microservices architecture and serverless that's where it's cloud native that's a complete yes. re-architecture and it, it can happen gradually over time you can start with the services that are most important from a business perspective, or you can start with the last 90 days. What are the ones, what are the applications that are causing us the most problems? Can we partition some of them out and start migrating them to a more robust uh, platform in the cloud? The other Agreed. thing I really love in the book. Sorry, Robert, go ahead. 
there's there's a book so way back to the net architecture guides here and this and by the way these books by the way too some of them like the microservices and the modernizing i'll show you some of these are applicable across platform i mean blazers and asp.net thing so i'm looking at grpc at cloud native applications microservices they're not just net too you know other platforms, you know, they're basically patterns and principles and practices, right? We do talk about the, dot, the implementation in a lot of these, but again, the patterns are the same whether you're doing Go or Java or it's the same basically, it's, it, it's the same way of thinking about these things. There's one here called Modernizing Web and Server. I believe this is it. That's a really good book in terms of what you're just saying. I think it's very helpful. Uh, if you get into this book um, here, it'll basically talk to i'll find you the link for it in some place but it actually talks it's about a 50-page book that talks about hey i want to move to the cloud how do i do that am i doing cloud native am i doing a lift and shift am i doing a web optimization what does all that mean and what are the benefits and trade-offs of each one of those because you really want to know that and understand that before you start really thinking about actually doing this stuff yeah, and I love that your book, um, it talks about what is the exact business problem that we're trying to solve with the cloud native approach. And you mentioned a bunch of different business needs. You know, do we want better resiliency, better performance, more visibility in operations? You know, do we want to future proof our investment? What is the business pain that we're trying to? Because once you know that, then you can devise some KPIs around it and you're going to know over time, are we making progress in our goals or is this a boondoggle? You know, Agreed. I thought that was very, um, very pragmatic. Agree. And I think as every day goes on, we need to really be able to articulate not only, hey, you know, here's the here's the pat here's the architectural pattern, here's the technology we're gonna use. You know, what is the business value of these things? Because at the end of the day, you know, the, you know, the business is, you know, they don't care as much about the technology or platform. They want to know what, what are they getting out of it? What, you know, what problems does it solve for them? How does it move them forward? So again, definitely agree. It's like, you know, I think everybody needs to be very aware of, uh, of the business. Sometimes like I see uh, articles that I love, but they're very much, you know, file new, create this and, you know, put this in and, you know, build it and run it. But I do it and, I, and it works and I'm thinking, Okay, but what are you, why are we doing this? I mean, what's, you know, why, why would the business care about this, right? You know, what problem is this solving? I think it's very important to, as technologists and architects, to really be aware of, you know, the business needs, business problems that we're solving. Thank you for listening. If you found any of this helpful, please share it with your friends and coworkers. And we would love your five-star reviews. See you next time.